Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. For those disciples who watched their savior, their mentor for three years, get wrapped in linen cloths, stowed away in a tomb. And then with that, all hope was gone. All hope was gone. But then God knows how to bring, and obviously he's resurrected Jesus because he's the son of God. But he stepped in and says, no, see, this resurrection proves that he's my son, that he's the Messiah. How do you think the disciples felt when they had to wrap Jesus up and put him in the tomb? I'm sure there was a little bit of doubt that seeped in. In today's message, Pastor James shares about the resurrection and its proof to us that Jesus is the Messiah. Because Jesus rose from the grave, he proved to the world that he was and is exactly who he says he is. Jesus is the one way to eternal life with God. So trust him today, and he promises that you'll inherit all that is the kingdom of heaven. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Numbers chapter 17 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. The book of Numbers, it's way more interesting than the title actually tells you, right? Like you see numbers and you're like, math's not my thing. This isn't about math at all, which is kind of nice. Hopefully in our going through the Word and going through the Old Testament, I I would hope you're seeing new stories or maybe stories that you just kind of gloss over as you're reading through the one-year Bible. And this is the section where you kind of like zoned out for a few months until you get to Joshua right? And then you're like, oh, yeah, okay, here we go. This is, there's good stuff in the book of Numbers. And last week we talked about, uh, we were in 15 and 16, and we looked at the fact that the children of Israel are just a bunch of complainers. This is a bunch of whiners, man. Whiners and, uh, oh, gosh. Um, I, I, yeah, that, it, it grates on my nerves, but here's the thing that's the, the worst part about it, is I'm not sure where I would stand if I was back there, like living back then. Right? Like, I'd like to think I'm Moses and Aaron, but I kind of think I'd be in the congregation, right? I'd be like, I really hope I'm Joshua. I hope I'm Caleb. I hope I'm those guys. But then when I do an evaluation of my life and how much time is spent rejoicing and how much time is spent complaining, uh, I look too much like the children of Israel sometimes. So uh, we looked at that, and then we looked at the fact that this, this group that was serving within the ministry, they had an awesome gig, they had an awesome responsibility, nothing to complain about, but envy and jealousy crept in, and then they led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and then they died. They died. Guess what? Complaining and murmuring leads to death. That's it. That's it. Complaining and murmuring, it will lead to the, either the death of a church or death to your role within a church. Now, we had a little disclaimer there. If you go to a church, there are going to be things that we do or we don't do that you may not agree with. And that's fine. That's fine. What you don't do is go behind our backs and talk to other people about that. You come to us and say, hey, why do we do this? Hey, why are we doing this? That's the healthy way to do it. Okay. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've seen both ways done, and one's healthy and good, and one is just destructive 
It's really destructive. So don't do the talking behind the back thing. Grab a leader. So this is Moses and Aaron. And here's what the cool thing about this is. If you're doing what God has told you to do or called you to do, you have nothing to worry about because God's got your back. God's got your back, right? And if you got people coming against you saying like, you stink at what you do, or I don't think God has, has placed you as the one to do that, but God has, don't worry about it. God's got your back, right? That's all chapter 17 is about. Let's look at this. This is a quick one. It's only 13 verses. It says, then the Lord says to Moses, this is after Korah has been, they've been swallowed up by, by earth. Earth ate these people, okay? The physical ground ate these people. And then after that, we saw chapter 16, just a real brief recap. After they saw the earth swallow and munch on a bunch of people, the next day, the whole congregation starts complaining. And they blame Moses for those people dying. And that's just like us. Just like us. But here you go. So then you have all that going on. God's like, I'm going to wipe them out. Moses is like, please don't wipe them out. Right? That's a good, that's a good leader. One who prays for you when he should have been, could have been praying like, yeah, get them. Get them. Like, you have, you have shown more than enough grace for these people. Have at them, Lord. Right? Moses is like, I'll turn this way. You do whatever you want with these people. You want to start over with me? That's cool. Because that's what God offered them. But God was really working on Moses' heart. Okay, so Moses and Aaron, they both pray and they intercede and then Aaron has to go run out through the crowd because this plague had started and people, thousands of people were dying. 14,700 people died because of complaining and murmuring. Okay, verse one of chapter 17, then the Lord said to Moses, okay, this is just following right along. Tell the people of Israel to bring you 12 wooden staffs or rods. One from each leader of Israel's ancestral tribes and inscribe each leader's name on his staff. Okay. So God's like, all right, Moses, here's the deal. You get a shepherd's staff from each tribe and have them take that staff, which is going to serve as like a, it's a walking stick for some. Okay. It's also can be a weapon. It's a shepherd's tool. It's a family insignia. It's a symbol of authority. That's what he's asking for. You're going to carve your family's name or symbol on this staff. Collect all these staffs. There's going to be 12 of them. So you just gather them all up. And God, this is God's way of proving, like, what I have said, I have said. You may not like what I've said, or you might not like who I put in charge, but that's who's in charge. So this is God's way of saying, like, argument is done. This is over. And he's going to use a miracle to communicate this message. Verse, uh, verse 3, it says, Inscribe Aaron's name on the staff for the tribe of Levi. For there must be one staff for each leader of each ancestral tribe. Uh, the interesting thing about the, the term rod or staff in the Hebrew is the exact same word as tribe. Okay, so this is just a representation of each, each tribe. Place the staffs in the tabernacle in front of the ark containing the tablets of the covenant where I meet with you. Verse five, buds will, will sprout on the staff belonging to the man I choose. Then I will finally put an end to the people's murmuring and complaining against you. And Moses is like, hallelujah, right? Like, why didn't we do this years ago, right? So God's like, collect all these walking sticks, put them in before the ark, And then I'm going to cause a miracle to happen. I'm going to bring life from death. Okay? Life from death. 
Moses gathers them all up. It says, verse 6, he gave him the instructions to the people of Israel. Each, each of the 12 tribal leaders, including Aaron, brought Moses a staff. Moses placed the staff in the Lord's presence at the tabernacle of the covenant. When he went into the tabernacle of the covenant the next day, he found that Aaron's staff, representing the tribe of Levi, had sprouted, budded, blossomed, and produced ripe almonds. God's like, boom, boom, boom. Now what? <laughs> like, that's it. You can't get fruit from a dead stick. You can't. You can't get fruit from dead things. You can't get fruit from dead stuff. You can't. You got a dead church? No fruit. You got a dead person? Spiritually? No fruit. None. None. God's like, put all those staffs in front of me. Let them hang out with me for a night. I'm going to show you miraculously, out of 12, there's going to be one, and it's going to have Aaron's name and the tribe of Levi just reminding you, this is who I chose. This is who I, case closed. No more talking about it. No more arguing. No more murmuring. No more complaining. This is a really cool representation of the resurrection. Something dead. There's just no hope. All hope seems lost, right? And then the Lord steps in and brings life to death. We see that with the resurrection story of Jesus, where those disciples who watched their Savior, their mentor for three years, get wrapped in linen cloths, stowed away in a tomb. And then with that, all hope was gone. All hope was gone. But then God knows how to bring, and obviously he's resurrected Jesus because he's the son of God. But he stepped in and says, no, see, this resurrection proves that he's my son, that he's the Messiah. This budded staff proves that Aaron is the guy whom God chose. The argument from Korah and all those guys a couple of chapters ago were like, we don't think you should be the guy. We don't think it's right that you alone get to serve as the high priest. And Aaron's like, dude, you guys are Levites too. You may not get to do what I do, but you serve in the temple. What, like, what, you get to do what nobody else gets to do. What is wrong with you? Why are we complaining about what we don't have? Why not celebrate what we do have? Probably have less people in the dirt if they just were a little bit more thankful. So God's like, I've had enough. Let me demonstrate this for you. And where there's fruitfulness, that's a good indication that, yeah, God's probably moving through that person. That's just a good reminder for us, too. We can really, I don't know why it's like this, but like getting down on churches is just like a favorite pastime of ours, I think, sometimes, right? <laughs> like, or we see a church, it's like, I, not numbers don't always equate to like God's moving. Hope, just hear me say that, please know, because there's a lot of churches that are packed out that, uh, I think it's a dead stick that's leading them, right? But there are some packed out churches that are being led by a, a guy that God has chosen. And we shouldn't have a problem with that. Now, if you're talking about government styles within the church and all that stuff, that's an open-handed issue. So that's silly. That's just nonsense, right? Just, is God moving? Is he using somebody within that? All right, sweet. Let's get behind that. Find where God's doing something and then be there. Be a part of that. 
it's not rocket science. And here God is like, I'm going to show to you guys that Aaron's my guy, and, um, and there's no way that you can deny it. Because you all have to come back up here and grab your dead sticks and go back to your tents with a public display of you're not the guy. <laughs> you're not chosen. Like, oh, darn, really thought it was going to be me, right? Tribe of Judah. But we're the tribe of Judah. Nah, but you don't get to be the priest. You get another blessing. The Messiah comes through your line. You got another blessing coming. That's, that's awesome. That's really cool. But I really wanted to be the high priest. It's not your calling. It's not your deal. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. So, very public display of God's, like, my hands on this guy. And it, it's in, in an abundant way. I, I love how the Bible just spells it out. It not only sprouted, it not only budded, it not only blossomed, and it produced ripe almonds. Like, like you could eat these things. Like, they were ready to go. It says, when, Mo- when Moses brought out all the staffs out of the Lord's presence, he showed them to the people. Each man claimed his own staff. Imagine being one of those guys. Imagine being the other 11. You got to walk up there like, oh, man, that's, yeah, that one's mine. Um, no buds here. No, no almonds on mine. It's cool. He's got another plan for you. He's got another plan for you. It says, the Lord said to Moses, place Aaron's staff permanently before the Ark of the Covenant to serve as a, a warning to rebels. Uh, this should put an end to their complaining against me and prevent any further deaths. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Then the people of Israel said to Moses, look, we are doomed. We are dead. We are ruined. This sounds like a people of hope, huh? This is like a church. Yeah, I want to go to that church, right? No, no, like... Everyone who even comes close to the tabernacle of the Lord dies. Are we all doomed to die? No. Not, not if you obey. <laughs> it's, it's simple, right? Like, here, like, dread has fallen upon the people when they should be celebrating, should be worshiping. They just saw a miracle. And the response is like, we better stay away from God because he will kill us. Instead of like, maybe we should bow down and worship him. Because who else has done this? Having the tabernacle, having the presence of God is what set them apart from all other nations. It was a difference maker. Should you have a reverent fear of God? Absolutely. Should you cower in fear from God? No. You're his kid. You're his child. You you have no right to walk around like, he's going to get me, he's going to get me, he's going to get me. Why are we saying that? Are we doing something we shouldn't be doing? If so, then repent. You don't understand the grace of God. You don't understand the mercy of God. If you walk around in fear of God all the time, you just don't get it. You don't get it. You need to study those two things. Those two terms, you need to do an inductive study on grace and mercy, and it will set you free. He's not going to get you. Okay, if he needs to give you a little discipline, well, that's a reminder that he loves you from the book of Hebrews and that he actually cares about you. But he only gives a little discipline when we actually deserve a little discipline. So live your life where you're walking in freedom, not perfection, but freedom. And just rejoice in the fact that, yeah, God Almighty can do anything that he wants. If he wants to take me out right now, he can take me out right now. I respect that. I have a reverent fear of him, a respectful fear because he is holy. He is holy. 
But I did not walk around cowering in fear of God, of like, I think he's going to get me. I think he's going to get me. You can't live like that. I can't even imagine my kids living like that. That would be torture. If like, I'm coming home from work all day and my kids go running and hiding because they fear that dad's going to get them. That's an abusive relationship. That's not what you have between God Almighty. When God shows up, we should be like, Abba, Papa. Like, run to the arms of the Father. Like, he loves you. He loves you. And you guys know the deal. All you, to a certain extent, have understood or encountered this where, yeah, maybe the kids have been bad. And dad is coming home. And there is a little fear. But it's because they've been bad. And dad's going to have to sit down and talk to them. And do a little corrective, behavioral corrective method, whatever it may be for you. I don't even know what that is anymore nowadays. I don't know what parents can and cannot do anymore. But in my day, growing up, there was a lot my mom could do. And did. (laughs) So it was all experimentation, right? Praise God, I was the last of four. And she was just worn out by the time she got to me, okay? But we all knew if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, and for us, I was raised by a single mom. When mom comes home, yeah, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a whooping. But I also knew I deserved it, right? I also knew like, yeah, I, I've earned it. Tell me what to do. Assume the position. I'm ready to go. I'll try not to do this again tomorrow, but I make no promises. But that's that loving, respectful relationship that you have. It's a healthy one. That's what you have with the Lord. That's what you have with the Lord. Unfortunately, the children of Israel, this generation, they didn't see it that way. They saw the tabernacle, they saw the presence of God, and they were just living in fear all the time. And they should have just been worshiping. Like, what a beautiful opportunity you had. Like, we have, I think, better than they did, honestly, because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Like, we don't need a tabernacle. We don't need any of that stuff. We have him dwelling inside of us. You are the temple. You are the temple. But man, what a cool thing. And, and, and Shame on us if we, if we don't get it either, right? Because, I mean, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, and it's just a beautiful thing. We should see that as like, man, our God loves us so much that he actually wants to be with us. Man, I'm a big old mess. I don't even want to be with me sometimes. But God's like, you can hang out with me anytime you want. So you go from that into a, a good reminder, chapter 18, this is just, uh, I'm going to cruise through this because this is stuff that we've, we've already discussed, but this is a, a, just a reminder concerning the priesthood. We, we just determined that, yes, once again, God has selected Levi, I'm sorry, the tribe of Levi, but more specifically Aaron to be the high priest. So God needs to remind everybody of this is the job description for Aaron and the Levites, anybody who serves within this, uh, within this capacity. So chapter 18 says, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your relatives from the tribe of Levi will be held responsible for for any uh, offenses related to the sanctuary. (laughs) Pray for your leaders. But you and your sons alone will be held responsible for violations connected with the priesthood. So he's like, God's like, hey, Aaron, don't let this go to your head. I did select you, and I have selected your tribe. But here's the deal. I'm going to hold you guys personally responsible. For anything that happens against the tabernacle and the priesthood, any violations connected with the priesthood. So you carry a tremendous weight and tremendous responsibility. This is where those other tribes should have been like, woo, praise God, I didn't get picked. 
man, let me make sure this rod's not budding any olives, right? Like, if I do, I'm going to hide this thing. It's a tremendous weight. It is a tremendous weight to carry when you're in leadership. There's a responsibility that comes with it. And I don't know why people seek it out. Honestly, I just don't get it. I didn't seek it out. I'll tell you this. From my heart, I had no desire to be a pastor. None. It was not in my plan. It was not at all. I was going to go. I wasn't even planning to be a Christian. That was Part of my plan was just to live life. Like, And then God got a hold of me. Praise God for that. And changed all my plans of trying to go to college and earn a business degree. Because all I cared about was making money. I wanted to just find a job where I would, could make the most amount of money possible. Because I was a poor kid. I was a poor kid. I knew what it was like to grow up poor. I wanted to know what it was like to live rich. Okay? So I was like, I will do whatever it takes to earn whatever degree I need to to make the most money I possibly can. So then I will never be poor again. That was my philosophy. That was, that was my plan. God's like, that's, that's cute. It's not happening. That actually would ruin you. He's like, no, you're going to go to Bible college. Uh, I don't know what Bible college is. But you guys know my deal. I was sold. It was Southern California, and I hear there's a lot of girls. So I'm like, sweet, let's, let's go to California, right? I know, bad end, that's like not, not the way to do it. But that's just what God is, he's, this is what he's working with. I get saved right before I go to Bible college, literally right before. And then even out there at Bible college, I have no idea. I know nothing about the Bible other than like Jonah. That's the only story I know. And even at Bible college, two years Last semester, what are you going to do with this degree? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what this degree is. It's like an associate's in theology. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, does anybody even care about that degree? The answer is no. Nobody cares about that degree. Trust me. Nobody does. All right? Even more so nowadays, there, there ain't nobody on this planet that cares about this degree. I've applied everywhere. I've got an associate's in what? Theology. Okay, can I clean out your animal cages at UTMB? They're like, you're not qualified. I'm not qualified. Um, so she's in theology. They're like, yeah, we don't want to deal with you. That was when I first moved here. <laughs> I couldn't get a job anywhere with my associates in theology. But serving and walking with the Lord, then in confirmation from other people, now you've you got a gift, you need to use your gift, you need to... There was some, uh, my first guy who discipled me said, I'm going to recommend you. He didn't tell me this, but he recommended me to be the junior high pastor at the church in Amarillo. One thing led to another, youth pastor, 14 years, and then moving down to Galveston to plant a church. All because God told me to. I didn't seek out pastoral ministry. I did not think I was, I should be doing it because I don't like talking to people. That's my deal. Like, I, I spent most of my life not talking to anybody. My brothers thought I couldn't actually talk because I wouldn't talk to anybody. I was so shy. But it's what the Lord has for me. So I didn't pick this. I absolutely, in submission to God and other people recognizing that I had a gift, I said yes to him. I had said yes to him. So, I've, yeah, I've been in ministry for 20 years. And I can tell you this, it is extremely difficult Extreme. I wouldn't wish this upon anybody. But that doesn't mean it's not fun. It doesn't mean that this, this is like the hardest thing, but it's also the coolest thing I get to do.
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. How often is the voice of God ignored? Do you tune him out because you think you know what he's going to say to you? Or maybe it just comes straight from a disobedient heart, like that of the Israelites, after being rescued from Pharaoh's rule. Getting out of Egypt wasn't enough for them, because, get this, they complained. They were disgruntled because God's way of doing things wasn't their way of doing things. Not only that, but they did what they wanted. Listen to how God responds to the Israelites' behavior in Numbers 4.22 and 23. Because all these men have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. That's pretty heavy, but it comes from a loving father who's teaching his children to obey him without question. What is your next step of obedience? If you enjoyed today's message from Numbers and want to hear more, then go to breadforthebroken.com where you'll hear more of God's truth and what it means for your life. That website, once again, is breadforthebroken.com. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. Would you consider donating some of your resources to support this ministry? All you have to do is visit us at breadforthebroken.com to learn how. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Make sure you join us again next time here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.